This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Today on Finding Center, the theme is creativity and beauties of the earth. In the first half, we'll hear Dr. Claudine Bigelow speak on creativity. Then in the second half, Dr. Raquel Richard shares beauties of the earth. Here's Claudine Bigelow, professor of viola, associate director of the BYU School of Music, and a Fulbright senior scholar. Today I want to explore the topic of creativity and the spiritual connection it can help us have with our Heavenly Father. While it's an attribute we often associate with the arts, it's an important tool for finding our inner artist for every discipline at the university. The scriptures teach us Heavenly Father is a profoundly creative being, and He has made us to be that way too. Creativity helps us bring light to the world and our relationships and to find deep and satisfying joy. President Dieter F. Uchtdorf encouraged us to be creative at General Conference in 2008. Quote, The desire to create is one of the deepest yearnings of the human soul. No matter our talents, education, backgrounds, or abilities, we each have an inherent wish to create something that did not exist before. Everyone can create. You don't need money, position, or influence in order to create something of substance or beauty. Creation brings deep satisfaction and fulfillment. We develop ourselves and others when we take unorganized matter into our hands and mold it into something of beauty. You might say, I'm not the creative type. If that's how you feel, think again and remember that you are the spirit children of the most creative being in the universe. Isn't it remarkable to think that your very spirits are fashioned by an endlessly creative and eternally compassionate God? Think about it. Your spirit body is a masterpiece created with a beauty, function, and capacity beyond imagination. But to what end were we created? We were created with the express purpose and potential of experiencing a fullness of joy. Our birthright and the purpose of our great voyage on this earth is to seek and experience eternal happiness. One of the ways we find this is by creating things. You may think you don't have talents, but that is a false assumption, for we all have talents and gifts, every one of us. The bounds of creativity extend far beyond the limits of a canvas or a sheet of paper and do not require a brush, a pen, or the keys of a piano. Creation means bringing into existence something that did not exist before. What you create doesn't have to be perfect. Don't let your fear of failure discourage you. Don't let the voice of critics paralyze you, whether that voice comes from the outside or the inside. The more you trust and rely upon the Spirit, the greater your capacity to create. That is your opportunity in this life and your destiny in the life to come. As you take the normal opportunities of your daily life and create something of beauty and helpfulness, you improve not only the world around you, but also the world within you." Creativity is an essential part of my life, something I've had to study and inspire others to find. It's a trait I hear a large number of people claim they don't have, but in my work I have grown to believe that every human being is capable of cultivating it. I've seen it bloom and develop in countless people who thought they would never find it. I have also needed creativity in parenting 
and strengthening my family life. Bringing imagination to every experience makes life fun. What is creativity exactly, and how do we find it, especially if we feel we don't have it? I like President Uchtdorf's definition. Creation means bringing into existence something that did not exist before. I would like to take a broad view of creativity here. What kinds of creativity are you best at? Are you a maker, a thinker, an innovator, or a problem solver? Does your creativity shine most with your hands, your mind, or your heart? We learn of Heavenly Father's creativity in Genesis, in the Pearl of Great Price, and at the temple. The Book of Abraham says, quote, Thus I, Abraham, talked with the Lord face to face, as one man talketh with another. And he told me of the works which his hands had made. And he said unto me, My son, my son, and his hand was stretched out, behold, I will show you all these. And he put his hands upon my eyes, and I saw those things which his hands had made, which were many, and they multiplied before mine eyes, and I could not see the end thereof. End quote. The second chapter of the book of Moses should sound familiar. Quote, and it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Behold, I reveal unto you concerning this heaven and this earth, Write the words which I speak. I am the beginning and the end, the Almighty God. By mine only begotten I created these things, yea, in the beginning I created the heaven and the earth upon which thou standest. And the earth was without form and void, and I caused darkness to come upon the face of the deep, and my spirit moved upon the face of the water, for I am God. And I, God, said, Let there be light. And there was light. And I, God, saw the light, and that light was good. And I, God, divided the light from the darkness. And I, God, called the light day, and the darkness I called night. And this I did by the word of my power, and it was done as I spake. And the evening and the morning were the first day. End quote. And so the story of the great creation unfolds. The story I have just read includes the spiritual creation of the earth, the sun, the stars, plants, trees, vines, herbs. God made whales of the deep, fish and fowl of the air. He made cattle, beasts, and creeping things. This great event concludes with the creation of human beings. We read of the physical creation of Adam and Eve in the book of Abraham, quote, And the gods took counsel among themselves and said, let us go down and form man in our image after our likeness. And we will give them dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So the gods went down to organize man in their own image, in the image of the gods to form they him, male and female to form they them. And the gods said, we will bless them. And the gods said, We will cause them to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. We will give them life. End quote. The story of the creation informs us that our Heavenly Father and His beloved Son are deeply creative beings. We are taught in these verses that we are made in the image of our Heavenly Parents 
but also in their likeness. In other words, we are also deeply creative beings. We are meant to create, and this capacity is eternal. We were creative in the pre-existence and are meant to be so here on earth. From everything we learn about the hereafter in the scriptures and in the temple, we will continue to live intensely creative lives. Think about what we can take with us to the next life. All we get to bring are our talents, knowledge, experience, relationships, and creativity. Creativity is therefore enormously important to cultivate. The plan of salvation teaches us that the preexistence was a time when we were thinking, creating, and problem-solving. We know that we had to make choices. One of the most important was that we chose to follow the Savior in the council in heaven. What other evidence do we have of our creativity before we came here to earth? If we look closely at the scriptures, we find radiant bursts of creativity from angels in important moments through time. A good example of this is the birth of our Savior. Luke tells us, quote, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. End quote. I don't think it's far-fetched to assume that praise was heavenly music. I believe with all my heart that heavenly host included all those who loved the Savior and whose hearts resonate with Him. What I'm trying to say is, I think we would have been included. If you could have been there, would you have? I wouldn't have missed it. The veil is thin for me on that experience. I can almost touch it in my memory. Every Christmas, when we raise our voices in song, our joy must have been abundant in that moment. The heavens overflowed. I have had the blessing of living a creative life at home and in my work. One of my jobs here at BYU is to cultivate creativity in others, to find and nurture their inner spark. What does a person need to be creative? Some of the markers I see are curiosity, eagerness to learn, courage to be innovative, and a willingness to work hard, a desire to be a problem solver, and the ability to learn from mistakes. These are the same tools required to excel in just about any discipline at the university. Problem solving is a legitimate form of creativity and a tremendous skill. Ingenuity has been required of the prophets and their families. Noah, Nephi, the brother of Jared, and their families all had to build boats for epic trips that challenged their survival. They had to build unique vessels, unlike anything they had needed before. It's safe to assume that none of them were professional boat builders. It's possible they felt inadequate for the job at first. But these families placed their confidence in the Lord and went to work. We know that Noah was particularly challenged to make his fit the varied animals of the earth. I've often wondered about the curious logistics this would require. How did he collect and store food? How did he keep prey safe from predators? How was the vessel compartmentalized to fit everything it needed to? Noah's creativity was constantly informed by his willingness to be reliant on the Lord. In Nephi's case, the task would have seemed nearly impossible. When he was asked to build a ship, his first concern was he didn't have tools or even know a source of metal ore from which he could hone some. 
But Nephi persevered by seeking inspiration and guidance every step of the way, and he got the task done. The brother of Jared's story in creating vessels is touching to me because of his great desire to have light in them. He knew this was not only a practical desire for his people, but also something that would help them have the psychological stamina to survive the trip. The Book of Ether tells the account, quote, And he cried again unto the Lord, saying, O Lord, behold, I have done, even as thou hast commanded me. And I have prepared the vessels for my people, and behold, there is no light in them. Behold, O Lord, wilt thou suffer that we shall cross this great water in darkness? And the Lord said to the brother of Jared, What will ye that I should do, that ye may have light in your vessels? For behold, ye cannot have windows, for they will be dashed in pieces. Neither shall ye take fire with you, for ye shall not go by the light of fire." The brother of Jared went to work. The next chapter of Ether continues the story, And it came to pass that the brother of Jared, now the number of vessels which had been prepared was eight, went forth unto the mount, which they called the Mount Shalem, because of its exceeding height, and did molten out of a rock sixteen small stones, and they were white and clear, even as transparent glass. And he did carry them in his hands upon the top of the mount, and cried again unto the Lord, saying, O Lord, thou hast said that we must be encompassed about by the floods. O Lord, thou hast given us a commandment that we must call upon thee, that from thee we may receive according to our desires. Behold these things which I have molten out of the rock. And I know, O Lord, that thou hast all power and can do whatsoever thou wilt for the benefit of man. Therefore touch these stones, O Lord, with thy finger, and prepare them, that they may shine forth in darkness." And they shall shine forth unto us in the vessels which we have prepared, that we may have light while we shall cross the sea. Behold, O Lord, thou canst do this. We know that thou art able to show forth great power which looks small unto this understanding of men. And it came to pass that when the brother of Jared had said these words, behold, the Lord stretched forth his hand and touched the stones one by one with his finger. And the veil was taken off from the eyes of the brother of Jared, and he saw the finger of the Lord. End quote. This remarkable passage reveals a number of things. The brother of Jared is having a direct conversation with God. Additionally, there is a creative collaboration on display. The brother of Jared found a solution to solve his problem and collaborated closely with the Lord to make it work. The Lord helped the brother of Jared because of his tremendous faith. This collaborative problem-solving experience helped the brother of Jared to know the Lord more completely. The verses later in the chapter teach us that the level of faith the brother of Jared demonstrated was so extraordinary that the Lord could not withhold anything from him. Interesting patterns I have observed in our time are that modern studies frequently prove principles of the gospel to be true, and this particular topic is no exception. Current studies in popular culture teach us that collaboration is one of the most fruitful ways to inspire creativity. I won't belabor those references right now, but just remember this. 
We are stronger when we work together. We are even stronger when we invite the Lord to be a part of what we do. Studying the many cultures of the earth inspires my own creativity. One of the great privileges of my life was to take my family to New Zealand for six months in 2012. What a great adventure we had. While there, I learned about the customs, language, and art of the indigenous people, the Maori. The Te Papa National Museum in Wellington had a remarkable exhibition while I was there called Kahu Ora, or Living Cloaks. It focused on Te Kakahu Maori, which translated means Maori cloaks. It was one of the most beautiful commentaries on creativity I had ever seen. You may still see the supplemental material for the exhibit online, even though it is no longer on display. With a keyword search using the word kakahu, you will be able to find the website dedicated to the exhibition and learn more of what I speak. Maori cloaks are a labor-intensive craft. Think of the story of the little red hen who plants the wheat, grows the wheat, harvests the wheat, grinds the wheat, and then makes the bread. The art of making cloaks is a harder job. It takes about two years to make one that is a masterpiece. The work is all done by hand. The weaver needs to grow and prepare the harakeke, or plant, into fine strands. Then the weaver will braid, weave, and twine it into a fabric, usually a large rectangle, to drape around the body. They frequently add feathers, such as kiwi, for every stitch. This can mean thousands and thousands of feathers. It also means the weavers have to track down the birds to get the feathers. They don't kill the protected birds, rather, they have to search for the fluff shed in the course of a normal life. It's a long and drawn-out venture. The cloaks are admired for their design and beauty, and weavers are considered great artists and are highly valued. I was personally most interested in hearing the weavers speak about how they see more than the physical creation of the cloak in their work, but a kind of spirituality as well. The weaver primarily sees aho, or connection. She sees how the fibers come from harakeke, a plant from the earth. She sees how she has coaxed the fibers of the plants to connect together to make the cloak with warp and weft. She sees the significant time of her life dedicated and connected to the cloak. She remembers the whakapapa, or genealogy, of generations of weavers who kept the art alive to teach her how to make the cloak. She sees the connection of these weavers to Hine Te Iwa Iwa, the spiritual guardian of weaving childbirth in the cycles of the moon. She sees the love of her ancestors, paired with her own love, woven into every stitch of the cloak. It's no surprise that Maori weavers believe all of this will connect with the person the cloak was made for and offer protection to the wearer. To give you some background about why I am so touched by cloaks, you need to know that I'm crazy about handwork. All textiles interest me. I'm an avid knitter, embroiderer, and quilter. I love to work with my hands. I am a maker. It's hard to explain why I'm good at it, but it's almost like I have a genetic connection on a cellular level with all of the generations of grandparents that have had these same gifts before me. My fingers just know what to do. I feel aho, or a connection to the Maori way of thinking about creativity. I feel warmth 
comfort and connection to my ancestors who had these same talents and to God who gave them to me. I feel at peace with handwork because I'm doing what I was created to do. There are moments it feels sacred to me. It's hard to explain to others how I feel about my creativity, but I found it expressed in a painting. I'm grateful the artist Brian Kershisnik gave permission to share it with you today. The artist calls it, She Will Find What Is Lost. For me, this painting is a wonderful expression of how we can receive inspiration. It resonates with how I feel when I'm being creative. Another key to finding creativity is to seek diverse experiences that are enriching and that will fill you with light. Doctrine and Covenants, section 88, verse 11, quote, And the light which shineth, which giveth you light, is through him who enlighteneth your eyes, which is the same light that quickeneth your understandings, end quote. What practical applications can creativity have for you right now in this moment? What can you do to turn on the switch for creativity? I have a bit of advice. Study the creative thinkers, doers, makers, innovators, and problem solvers through time. It's impossible to study everyone, but pick a few you're drawn to, such as those in your field of study. Heavenly Father has sent astonishingly gifted spirits to be beacons of light for our world. There are aspects of their work that can always teach us and transform us. Albert Einstein, Mother Teresa, Galileo Galilei, Mary Cassatt, Michelangelo, Anne Frank, Ludwig von Beethoven, Madame Curie, Dmitry Shostakovich, Jane Goodall, Madeleine Langle, Copernicus, Florence Nightingale, Gregor Mendel, Jane Austen, Leonardo da Vinci. I could go on and on. If we tried to collectively make a better list than this, which I'm sure we could, we would find the list to be almost endless. So much light has been sent to the world for our benefit and learning. The great Creator blesses us in so many ways. He creates magnificent and diverse spirits. Find your sphere your niche, your specialty. Trailing clouds of glory do we come is how Wordsworth describes our journey here to earth. We all come with particular gifts. Your time here at the university is a tremendous opportunity to discover, study, and develop those personal gifts. Study at your desk, but also seek lively conversations with your peers and professors about the questions you have, the things you want to know. Ask them about the questions that burn inside of them. Have the courage to get to the bottom of questions in your field. Bore deep to find what still needs to be studied. Have the fire in your belly to see things through, even when you're tired of the experiment. You will excel in your field when you are truly passionate and articulate about it. Be an artist in your discipline. Beware of paralysis from criticism. Creativity and learning need some freedom. Allow for time to get in the groove and time to teach muscle memory. Sometimes it is our inner critic that is the greatest enemy to our own growth. Sticking with a critic doesn't get us past the stop sign. It's difficult to move forward with that kind of negativity. 
Learn from your mistakes. It's okay to make mistakes. Instead of chastising your mistakes, study them. Be curious. My students will laugh when I tell you this, but I teach them often to say, thank you, mistakes. I make them say it out loud and smile when they say it. Turn off the critic and turn on the teacher inside of you. When you study your mistakes with patience and love, you can identify what needs to change and how. Patience will bring the malleability you need so you can improve and move forward. This will also be the moment when you're magnified. Parenting has taught me that mistakes are fine and part of the process of learning better than any other experience. We would never scold a five-year-old for falling when learning to ride a bike. We cheer for the movement forward. We help the child get up, dust off, and try again and again. Every person deserves that same courtesy, even yourself. The university is also a rich environment in which to learn about things outside of your comfort zone. In my experience, these are crucial places that may stimulate your creativity most of all. Be hungry to learn your discipline. And when you're done studying for the day, learn about other things in your free time. Never stop reading, listening, and looking for evidence of divine light. Connect and collaborate with others who have different talents to enrich your experiences. This light will help you see your discipline with new eyes. Here are some scenarios to get you started. If you're a painter, Provo's the perfect place to take up hiking. And don't forget to take a friend passionate about geology or botany with you so you can learn more about the stunning landscape as you cover it. If you're a chemist, make friends with the people who love to cook in your ward to deepen your understanding of how and why things work in your kitchen. Your knowledge and a dose of chemistry can help them too. Cook together and share your creations with someone that is in need of good cheer. If you're an engineer, make sure you visit the Museum of Art regularly and take a date that has artistic sensibility for fun conversation. Engineering and art are a perfect pairing, as demonstrated in the recent MOA exhibit, Folding Paper, The Infinite Possibilities of Origami. If the only symphony you have ever listened to in your life is the one you heard when an orchestra visited your grade school, then you really need to expand your horizons. Take the time this Sunday to listen to something you're pretty sure is a masterpiece, such as Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. The Music and Dance Library and HBLL will have one for you to check out. Avoid earbuds and find a good stereo for a private place and turn it up a little louder than you think you should. Lie down on the floor so you're not only listening with your ears, but you can feel the floorboards shake. That's what it feels like to be in the middle of a viola section. Not only will it resonate strongly in your heart that way, but will have the potential to be a spiritual experience. Become a concert goer if that experience inspires you. If you don't like it, it doesn't mean it's bad music. It means you don't understand it yet. Campus has hundreds of concert opportunities for you to choose from. Seek to understand. For musicians, I have a different assignment. Get to the physics lab and learn about the amazing sound room. If you are studying nursing, try going to the theater to study matters of the heart, to fill your mind with beautiful words, ideas, and conversations. It will help you interact with your patients. 
If you're studying law, have a party on Martin Luther King Day with history buffs and celebrate by having a few speakers talk about the civil rights movement. The list is endless. Think outside the box. Find a discipline on campus you're curious about, and your creativity can lead you to know what it is that you need to do. University life can be challenging. I understand that. If your mind hurts from studying and your heart hurts because your mind is stuck and you don't have time for any of the above, then just step outside. Mount Timpanogos will always be there to greet you. A small break to smell the roses will clear the air and remind you of the great creator. There will always be something in nature to stimulate creativity in your heart and mind if you look for it. Creativity has an almost magical property that I found best stated by the poet Maya Angelou. Quote, you can't use up creativity. The more you use, the more you have. End quote. The Doctrine and Covenants teaches us this is truth. Quote, that which is of God is light. And he that receiveth light and continueth in God receiveth more light, and that light groweth brighter and brighter until the perfect day. End quote. If you don't feel you have an ounce of creativity, then go to the Lord and petition him. Creativity is your birthright. He will help you find the ore to make the tools. He can magnify you beyond what you ever thought was possible. He will help you to meet the full measure of your creation because it's everything he made you for. He will not only show you your gifts, but we learn from the story of the brother of Jared that he will be able to reveal himself to you if you come to him in faith and invite him to be a part of the collaboration. Inviting creativity into your professional and private lives is worth searching and striving for. Don't ever give up. There is someone here that needed this message. I know this because I spent a great deal of time trying to write a different talk, but I was continually directed to pursue this subject instead. I hope these ideas find the person they were meant to find and that they pierced your heart to know your value. Please know how much the Lord loves and cherishes you, for I have felt it. I have a strong testimony that being creative is one of the most important things we have come to this life to practice. We are here to have familial relationships, make good choices, gain a body, but also to find our soul, or what Wordsworth calls our life's star. May you be illuminated to find your internal angelic being that courageously chooses the Savior and to come to this world by discovering and illuminating your celestial self. May you, in turn, illuminate others to find their own light. May the Lord bless you as you discover your creativity and spiritual gifts and strive to become who you were always meant to be. You will know it is the right path when your journey brings you closer to Him. I have an abiding love for my Heavenly Father, the great Creator, and His Son. Their love, artistry, and creativity are endless, as I hope ours someday will also be.
I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. Our theme today is creativity and beauties of the earth. We just heard Dr. Claudine Bigelow speak on creativity. After the break, we'll return for Raquel Richards on beauties of the earth. This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Our theme today is creativity and beauties of the earth. Now we hear Dr. Raquel Richards speaking on beauties of the earth. So as a young girl, one of my favorite primary songs was My Heavenly Father Loves Me, because I can imagine all the beautiful creations of God in that song. Hearing the song of a bird, looking at the blue sky, having eyes to see the color of butterfly wings, and feeling the wind as it rushes by. Throughout my life, I have lived and traveled to places that have allowed me to experience different beauties of the earth, including various landscapes and cultures. Beyond the physical beauties of the earth, God has given us other beauties to help strengthen us and to bring us joy. Today, I want to share four beauties of the earth with you. One, the beauty of education. Coming to BYU was a whole new experience for me because I never attended Brigham Young University as a student. Starting as a faculty member at BYU, I quickly realized there was a unique culture all its own that existed at BYU. Not having attended a religious university before, the idea of combining spiritual learning into a secular classroom was foreign to me. Through the help of my faculty in my department, new faculty seminars, and practice, I have come to treasure the beauty of bringing spiritual insights into a classroom setting. Through the past several years of being at BYU, I have been blessed to read and to listen to incredible, inspiring stories that are the foundation of this institution. Many miracles occurred throughout the history of this university that have helped me catch the vision that embodies BYU. Let me recount one of these stories. During the era of the Great Depression, like many areas of the United States, BYU was impacted by this part of history. In a BYU magazine several years ago, the following was published about this time. Quote, the university wrestled with its own financial challenges, including a 22.5% pay cut for faculty and the recurrent threat of closure. Yet partly because most church junior colleges had closed by 1933, BYU enrollments increased 50% during the 1930s. By using federal grant money to fund hundreds of campus jobs and by reaching out in other ways, faculty and administrators did what they could to help students who struggled. In 1931, when Wilford Lee first registered at BYU, he recalled, The school was struggling. They were still accepting gallon jugs of blackstrap molasses from the Dixie student as part payment on the student's tuition. I will always remember the why as the poor man's school, and since I was one of the poorest of the poor, I will always remember those days as a real struggle for existence." Now, I'm guessing none of you paid for your tuition this year with molasses, but my hope is that this story gives you a glimpse of the impressive history of this university and the sacrifices made by students, faculty, and administration to keep it thriving. While at BYU, I hope you will cherish the opportunities given to you, which are unique to this university. I hope you catch the vision of BYU. The most important educator we have in this life is the Holy Ghost. 
One of my favorite scriptures in the New Testament is when Christ teaches his apostles that once he departed this earth life, he would provide them with another comforter that may abide with them forever. Because of this other comforter, the Holy Ghost, we can receive guidance to know the path we should take in life. If we are willing to do all we can to pursue our dreams and then put our trust in God to take us on the path that he knows will lead to our greatest growth, we will be where God knows we need to be to become the person he intends for us to become. Before coming to BYU, I'm guessing like many of you, I had decisions before me as to which major to choose in college and eventually what to do with my life after graduation. I am thankful for prayer and inspiration that came through the Holy Ghost. And when answers did not come in the time I had hoped for and knowing what path to pursue, I learned to rely on faith and trust in God that whatever decision I moved forward with, He would guide me differently if that path was not the one I should take. In my undergraduate years, I initially started out in one major. However, into my second year, after receiving C average grades in a couple of courses in my major, I thought that I should be doing better in my major. I began seeking other avenues. In the University Career Center, I searched through a book for potential career options. I stumbled across a description of a pediatric nutritionist. I became more excited as I read and felt that this might be my answer. I recall taking a nutrition course in high school and thoroughly enjoying the class. After meeting with the academic counselor for nutrition science, I decided to switch majors. Given my current faculty position, you can probably guess that this major stuck. The course content was exciting to study, and I felt like I couldn't wait to learn more in each class. Looking back, I have been able to identify what made the difference, and this realization is the advice I share with students when they mention trying to decide on a major. Find your passion and then work hard at it. Most aspiring graduates will recognize this all-too-familiar question, what are you going to do after you graduate? Sometimes it can be scary to think of what's next, but if we have an open mind and heart, God can lead us to great things. During my master's program work, I had an opportunity to intern at a federal public health agency and thoroughly enjoyed the work and the excitement of the, the impact that work could have on the individuals across the nation. During my doctoral program, I had every intention of applying for employment at this agency, keeping my contacts active within the division I worked in as an intern. However, God had different plans for me. I knew that if I was offered a faculty position at BYU, this is where God wanted me to be. Obviously, BYU extended me the job, and I accepted. This is just one of many experiences I've had in my life where when I am willing to accept the Lord's will and listen, He has guided my, me to the path that is best for me. He does this for all of us. Christ taught, Ask, and it shall be given unto you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. All that is required of us is to ask, to listen, and to accept His timing. 2. The beauty of God's creations. Over the many years of studying nutrition, I have come to stand in awe at God's creations. He truly has given us a gift of a mortal body and beauties on this earth to sustain and strengthen it. Food is one of those beauties. Not only does it give us life, but God has created it in a way that is for our enjoyment and pleasure. This last year, as I was reading the Doctrine and Covenants, a series of scriptures stuck out in my mind that I know I've read before, but took on a different meaning when I read it this time. They state, quote, All things which come of the earth and the season thereof are made for the benefit and the use of man, both to please the eye and to gladden the heart for taste and for smell, to strengthen the body and to enliven the soul." Quote. 
This concept is one I aim to teach my students. Food is wonderful and truly something to rejoice in. The colors and textures and variety make food pleasing to the eye and can truly gladden our hearts. The nutrients that food provides strengthen and enliven us. In the Book of Mormon, we learn that men are that they might have joy. God created us so that we could have joy on this earth. However, at times life brings challenges that may make it seem hard to find joy. A few years ago at a Word Relief Society activity, a panel of women in varying life stages and situations were asked to answer a series of questions. One of those questions was whether their life turned out as they had planned. Regardless of age or situation, their experiences affirmed that life rarely turns out as we had planned or anticipated. I have come to better understand that despite what we might consider setbacks or disappointments, God wants us to find joy where we currently are in life and to recognize that He has a plan tailored designed for us. Finding joy in our current circumstances is a message that President Dieter F. Uchtdorf recently taught. He said, quote, Everyone's situation is different, and the details of each life are unique. Nevertheless, I have learned that there is something that would take away the bitterness that may come into our lives. There is one thing we can do to make life sweeter, more joyful, even glorious. We can be grateful. It might sound contrary to the wisdom of the world to suggest one who is burdened with sorrow should give thanks to God. But those who set aside the bottle of bitterness and lift instead the goblet of gratitude can find a purifying purifying drink of healing, peace, and understanding. Our loving Heavenly Father knows that choosing to develop a spirit of gratitude will bring us true joy and great happiness. But some might say, what do I have to be grateful for when my world is falling apart? Perhaps focusing on what we are grateful for is the wrong approach. Could I suggest that we see gratitude as a disposition, a way of life that stands independent of our current situation? In other words, I'm suggesting that instead of being thankful for things, we focus on being thankful in our circumstances, whatever they may be." End quote. Finding joy in our circumstances may seem difficult at times, but as President Uchtdorf taught, we can still find an attitude of gratitude at these times. Some may ask, how is this possible? President Uchtdorf further teaches us that being grateful in times of distress does not mean that we are pleased with our circumstances, but but that through the eyes of faith we look beyond our present-day challenges and recognize that even if we do not always understand the trials we are facing, we can still put our trust in God that one day we will. Through personal experience, I have learned that when we do not feel that attitude of gratitude that President Uchtdorf talked about, we can pray to God for His help in seeing beyond today or a particular moment we can ask for God's help in opening our eyes and hearts to help us find an attitude of gratitude so that we can better endure the trials that are bound to come. Three, the beauty of scriptures and modern-day prophets. The first recollection I have of reading the scriptures on my own was when I was about seven or eight years of age. At the time, we lived in a house in which the living room had bookshelves that were covered one wall. Although many books were out of my reach because of my height, I remember some, including the children's version of the scriptures, being placed within my reach. I came to thoroughly enjoy the graphics and stories of the prophets and Savior that were told. Since that time, I have again and again come to treasure the words of the scriptures. A few years ago, I felt a strong desire to reread all the standard works. At that time, I did not realize that God was preparing me for something yet to come. I began with the Doctrine and Covenants and learned new insights that I had not considered before. I can truly say that I came to better understand the idea of feasting on the words of Christ. 
Every day I was thrilled to read more and rekindled my testimony of the Savior and of the prophet Joseph Smith. Shortly after starting the study of the Doctrine and Covenants, I was called to teach a youth Sunday school class. And to my surprise, which of the standard works were they studying that year? Yes, the Doctrine and Covenants. I knew that it was not by coincidence that I felt inclination to read the Doctrine and Covenants at that particular moment. If we allow Him to, God directs our lives and prepares us for what is yet to come. After finishing the Doctrine and Covenants, I turned to the New Testament and then the Old Testament, which I am currently reading. I remember thinking, as I read certain passages in the Old Testament, that the Savior I had come to learn about and love through the Book of Mormon and New Testament was the same being of the Old Testament. Stronger than any time before, I made connections between the doctrines and principles and the standard works, and my testimony and knowledge of Jesus Christ expanded. During this time, I also pondered how difficult my life would be without the scriptures. I was reminded of a time long ago when people did not have access to the scriptures in their own language to read them on their own. Elder M. Russell Ballard related the events of that time in history, quote, The dark ages were dark because the light of the gospel was hidden from the people. They did not have the apostles or prophets, nor did they have access to the Bible. The clergy kept the scriptures secret and unavailable to the people. We owe much to the many brave martyrs and reformers like Martin Luther, John Calvin, and John Huss, who demanded freedom to worship and common access to the holy books. Men like John Wycliffe, the courageous William Tyndale, and Johannes Gutenberg were prompted against much opposition to translate the Bible into language people could understand and to publish it in books people could read. I believe even the scholars of King James had spiritual promptings in their translation work. Because of the efforts of the Reformers, the Bible became a household possession. The Word of God was read around the family fireside of the lowly, as well as the parlors of the great." We are truly blessed to have access to ancient scriptures, but also to living prophets and apostles who teach us God's words every six months. We have a wealth of knowledge and resources literally at our fingertips. What could fill shelves and shelves of bookcases we now hold in the palm of our hand. On this subject, Elder D. Todd Christofferson taught, quote, Consider the magnitude of our blessing to have the Holy Bible and some 900 additional pages of scriptures, including the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants, and the Pearl of Great Price. Then consider that in addition, the words of prophets spoken as they are moved upon by the Holy Ghost, which the Lord calls scriptures flow into us almost constantly by television, radio, internet, satellite, CD, DVD, and in print. I suppose that never in history has a people been so blessed with such a quantity of holy writ. And not only that, but every man, woman, and child may possess and study his or her own personal copy of these sacred texts, most in his or her own language." As Elder Christofferson reminded us, we have easier access to church doctrine than ever before. However, with this abundance, I think this counsel applies. Where much is given, much is required. We are so blessed to have readily available resources to access scriptures, general conference talks, and much more. But do we utilize it to its full potential? Do we truly cherish what it has to offer us? Alma counseled Helaman, speaking of the Liahona that Lehi and his family used to journey through the wilderness to the promised land. He said, quote, 
For behold, it is as easy to give heed to the word of Christ, which will point you a straight course to eternal bliss, as it was for our fathers to give heed to this compass, which should point unto them a straight course to the promised land. And now I say, is there not a type in this thing? For just as surely as this director did bring our fathers by following its course to the promised land, shall the words of Christ, if we follow their course, carry us beyond this veil of sorrow into a far better land of promise. O oh, my son, do not let us be slothful because of the easiness of the way. For so it was with our father, for so it was prepared for them, that if they would look, they might live. Even so it is with us. The way is prepared, and if we will look, we may live forever." End quote. I know that if we sincerely look at the marvelous resources available to us through ancient and modern scriptures, we will find Christ. We will truly be able to live a joyous life now on this earth and into the eternity. Christ brings us life, and his words bring us to him. We look to the scriptures and prophets just as Nephi and his family had to look for the words on the Liahona to guide them to the promised land. As we look to the scriptures and the prophets, we will stay on the straight and narrow path that leads to God, and he will help us to become the son or daughter he intends for us to become. We have been given the opportunity to find the truthfulness of the scriptures and prophets for ourselves. We do not need to rely on others to learn of Christ and his teachings. We have been given a promise that if we ask with a sincere heart and with real intent, he will manifest the truth of his words unto us. We can each know for ourselves that is truly beautiful. For the beauty of temples. The temple is the house of the Lord, a place of love and beauty. To me, the temple is also a symbol of power and peace. As most of you know here, not too long ago, the beloved Provo City Tabernacle was burned. The sadness of the community was real. Well, when President Monson announced rebuilding it to become a temple, those tears of sadness became great tears of joy and rejoicing. Recently, I had the opportunity to visit the Provo City Center Temple during the open house. The beauty of this building is breathtaking. And although the Spirit of God is found there, I couldn't help but be reminded that the true power comes after its dedication. The work we do in the temple for ourselves and those who have passed from this life is where the true power lies and is the real intent of building temples. This year we have the privilege to study the teachings of President Howard W. Hunter and Relief Society and Priesthood. Although President Hunter was a prophet for only a short time, his impression on me and his love for the temple was great. I clearly remember his admonition for every person to be worthy of and carry a current temple recommend. This symbolized a person's commitment to the Lord, even if distance or life circumstances prevented them from attending as frequently as desired. I think of his foresight as the prophet in preparing a people for a time that would come later under President Gordon B. Hinckley. I recall the day when President Hinckley announced that he had received revelation on how to increase building of temples and to lessen the distance in which people had to travel to get to the temple. President Hinckley explained that the church would, quote, construct small temples, buildings with all the facilities to minister all of the ordinances, end quote. Since that time, numerous temples have been built. So many, in fact, that Elder Quentin L. Cook reported in the April 2014 General Conference that 85% of the church members now live within 200 miles of a temple. As you know, we have been blessed here locally to have two temples within minutes of each other. However, I wonder, too, if our lives become so busy that we forget the great blessing that awaits us just minutes away. The Lord has a great work for us to do in the temple. 
We just need to be willing to give our time. As we do that, God will bless us abundantly. President Thomas S. Monson shared his thoughts on the blessings that come through the temple. He said, quote, As we enter through the doors of the temple, we leave behind us the distractions and confusion of the world. Inside this sacred sanctuary, we find beauty and order. There is rest for our souls and a respite from the cares of our lives. As we attend the temple, there can come to us a dimension of spirituality and a feeling of peace which will transcend any other feeling which could come into the human heart. Such peace can permeate any heart, hearts that are troubled, hearts that are burdened down with grief, hearts that feel confusion, hearts that plead for help." End quote. Every one of us will experience trials, challenges, and heartaches as a part of mortality, but our loving God has given us a place where we can go to leave the world behind and to fill of His love. The temple reminds us of who we once were before this life, what our purpose is on this earth, and what the possibilities for our future life can be. It helps us keep the right perspective in life, to not get caught up in the day-to-day difficulties, but to remember that this earth life is but a part of God's plans for us. We are reminded that God's plans for us are much grander. His ultimate goal is for us to become like Him. Today I shared four beauties of the earth that have helped to shape my life. The beauty of education, the beauty of God's creations, the beauty of scriptures and modern-day prophets, and the beauty of temples. However, as I thought of these beauties, many other beauties of the earth that have blessed my life came to mind. I realized that God's beauties of the earth are all around us, and He wants us to find them and to feel gratitude for them. All we have to do is open our eyes to see them or our ears to hear them. We can ask God to help us find and cherish the beauties found in each of our lives. As we do so, we will find joy meaning and purpose in our lives and become ever closer to and more like our loving Heavenly Father. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. Join us every weekday for an hour of inspiration and recentering. Today's theme was Creativity and the Beauties of the Earth, with thoughts from Dr. Claudine Bigelow and Dr. Raquel Richards. Find links to the full text, audio, and video of these addresses at byuradio.org slash findingcenter. Finding Center is a production of BYU Broadcasting.